Good morning, everybody. Morning. Yeah, uh, if you can't hear yeah, the back, put your hand up. I'll, I'll speak louder. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tom mentioned that uh, yeah, that I was in the Unification Church, and some of you probably uh, came a bit later, so I'll, I'll share a little bit about myself. Um, I was deceived twice in my life. <laughs> First, as a Hindu, you know, I was a dedicated Hindu, so I. Uh, as I was growing up in Singapore, uh, you know, I would go to the temple regularly. Then I came to UK, and then I, I met the Unification Church, and I spent the next 10 years of my life. I joined when I was 19, a week after my 19th birthday, and uh, I spent the next 10 years traveling around the world, working for Mr. Moon. <laughs> uh, but I learned a lot. God kept me safe in that movement. But finally, um, I saw the light, and I, and I left. And uh, so deception is, you know, um, I'm, I, I, you know, truth is important to me. Truth, because being deceived twice, you want to know the truth. So when I became a believer, I started studying the Bible, I was going here and there. But at that time, it was the Toronto blessing. Okay? So everywhere I went. There was no Bible teaching. I didn't know what to do. In fact, my pastor in Derby told me, if you come to, sh- come to this church, my church, for, to study the Bible, this is the wrong place for you. <laughs> so I left. <laughs> so I just took time out and you know, studied the Bible by myself. But anyway, now I'm living in Japan. Uh, my wife is Japanese. Uh, I met her in an education church, and she was also deceived. Uh, so... Um, you know, thankfully, both my girls are believers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I'm just visiting UK for about a month. So Tom invited me, so I'm over here. Anyway, today's subject is: uh, if you have your Bibles, actually, you don't have to go there. But the disciples came to Jesus in Matthew 24 and asked Jesus about the end times, and four times. In chapter 24, Jesus spoke about deception. Deception. You know, so he said there will be false teachers, false, false prophets, false Christ. And as a young believer, I thought, oh, that's the Unification Church, that's Reverend Moon, that's Ben Hinn, you know, and, and so on. But there's another form of deception, which is very subtle, but very dangerous. Another form of deception. Anyone, any ideas? How you could be deceived? Think about that. You know, I mean, you won't be deceived by Jehovah's Witness. Not today. Knowing the Bible and walking with the Lord. But there's another sort of deception. And Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. You can go there. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. He says... If you are there, Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, for anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And I think this is the greatest form of deception. Because you deceive yourself. Okay? What, What does that mean? We deceive ourselves that we are somebody when we are nobody. And 
you know, we think we are important because we are working for the Lord. Uh, do Bible studies or teaching or doing, uh, leading the worship. We think we are somebody. We give money to church work. So we think we are somebody. So we are content. And we think we are spiritual because we do all these things. And we are content. But all of these things are actually leaves. If you know what I mean. They are leaves. Jesus comes looking for fruit. But all we can produce is leaves. So, why? Because, because we are doing all these spiritual things in our lives, we think this is the Christian way. You know? It's kind of a deception, isn't it? Yeah. So Jesus goes uh, in Revelation, he looks at the seven churches. He's, he's seeking out the seven churches. And he doesn't find fruit in most of them. Do you think Jesus is coming into your life and seeking out for the fruit in your life? I'm sure he's doing that. He's the shepherd. Yeah? We are the body. So he will come and search in your life. Yeah? Do you have any fruit? Do you have, uh, or are you just producing leaves? Remember the story when Jesus went to the fig tree. He was looking for fruit. And there was no fruit. He cursed the fig tree. So... <coughs> So we need to check our lives to see are we producing fruit. So many times when believers, well I did this, when I, I thought that someday my destination is heaven. So right now I will just get to know more about God. So I will go to conferences, I will go on the internet, buy books, buy DVDs, buy CDs and, and I studied. Maybe you did it. I know a lot of Christians do that. I, I work in Japan, that's, how they, they, that's what they think. They will go to conference after conference, trying to learn more about God. And the thing I realized is not, not spending time reading to know more about God, but it's about getting to know God. Alright? Because I was deceiving myself, because I was doing all those things that I thought, my life is okay, you know. Uh, I was going to church, Bible study, doing this and doing that, raising my family okay. But actually, I didn't know God. I knew about God. So I would spend time studying about the temple, you know, the priestly garments, the sacrifices. Yeah? You study about all these uh, uh, metals in the temple, gold, silver, brass. You, know, you study all these things. But then you forget to study about or get to know about the God who lived in the temple. Yeah? You miss him. <laughs> you look at everything else. Yeah? And you, know, you study about the sacrifice. What does the, the red heifer mean? So what does the goat mean? What does the sheep mean? And then you study about all the feeds. And still you don't know about God. Yeah. Then later, you know, I, I learned to debate with JWs about Mormons. How to talk to a Muslim. Still. What does that mean? You know, that, that's all just leaves. They're good things. Don't get me wrong, they're good things, but they are still leaves. The most important thing is not waiting to go to heaven one day. The most important thing is get to know God now. And not only that, that we have the nature of Christ in our lives. Mm -hmm. Nature of Christ. This is the goal of every believer. 
Now, if you go to First um, Peter chapter two, verse twenty-one, <coughs> is it loud enough? Can you hear me in the back? Yeah, yeah. loud enough. Okay. <coughs> First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-one. We'll read a few a few verses. It says, "For you have been called for this purpose." Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threat, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So Jesus came as an example to show us you know, there's another verse, I'll come back to this. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. How do we imitate God? <laughs> We've not seen God. So Jesus came down to reveal himself. Over and over you see in scripture is calling the New Testament believers to imitate, follow, have the nature of Christ. It's not just a, a bunch of doctrines we believe. You know, or we do this, we repent, we get baptized and then we go to church on Sundays or go to Bible studies and so on. It's more than that. And wait to die and then we go to heaven. It's now. It's in the present. You know. I was reading the Bible the other day and he says uh, Jesus was telling Peter the way he was going to die. And he said, you're going to die this way to glorify God. Now I think, gosh, even death is to glorify God. So everything we do is for the glory of God. We don't worship God with songs. We don't worship God with raising our hands. We worship God with our lives. If you know what I mean. Huh? We have to worship God with our life. Jesus said, I'm the light. Then he said, you are the light. He said, you know, we have to be the salt of the earth. So, Jesus said, while I'm on the earth, I am the light. When I'm gone, you are the light. But most people cannot say what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. Most believers will say, don't follow me because my life is a mess. Follow Jesus. There's something wrong in that. We don't say, follow me. We, we think we are humble. Don't follow me because my life is a mess. And we think, follow Christ. That's more spiritual. But why is your life a mess? The goal, the problem is, in the church, we are not disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples not followers. So there are lots of followers. Followers are actually admirers of Jesus. They admire Jesus from a distance. Okay? So they will do certain things. Religious things. Christian things. You know? So that's not what... Uh, followers only, will only produce leaves in their life. No fruit. A disciple will produce fruit. Okay? Because a disciple is not deceived. He doesn't think too much about himself. Remember Galatians chapter 6 verse 3? Do not be deceived. When you, know, when you are nobody, you think you are somebody. 
And Satan will sell it to you. That you are somebody. He is the greatest salesman. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. huh? He came into paradise and he sold death. Mm -hmm. Walked into paradise. God created Garden of Eden. He comes in there and he sells death. And he's still the best salesman in the world because people are following death. They're buying death. They don't want life. Because they're deceived. And how does he deceive? He tells them, you are somebody. You need this. Remember that, I don't know if you still do in England, some in Japan now. You are worth it, shampoo commercial. You are worth it. And that's the philosophy of the world. Everything. So on. You need it. You need that. You are worth it. It boosts your ego. So in the world, you are pushed up higher and higher. If your children don't do well in school, the teachers will say, stay behind, I'll help you. Or you get a private tutor. You push them to the higher mark. But in God's kingdom, it's the other way around. God brings you down. He doesn't want you to go up. You will go up, but first you need to come down. First come down. You know, you rock bottom first. Then he'll pick you up. He will not boost our egos. Okay? He will not boost our egos. I want to spend a little time talking about God's kingdom. Okay? Kingdom of heaven. In Matthew, when you read Matthew, Matthew mentions about the kingdom of heaven over 30 times. All the other gospels, especially Luke, will say kingdom of God, but Matthew will say kingdom of heaven. Because Matthew was writing to the Jews. So he wouldn't use the word God, he would say heaven. And um, <clears throat> if you... Let's look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7, um, verse 21. <clears throat> Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So, in Luke, um, we won't go there, but in Luke, um, I think in chapter 17, he says, the kingdom of heaven is within you, or amongst you. Okay? It's within you. The kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, what it means is actually the rule of God. The rule or the government if you like. The rule of God is within you. God rules you as a believer inside you. In other words, He rules our life. To rule our life, we must submit to Him. You can be a rebellious believer. Huh? So He says, in Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And in verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles. And Jesus, to Jesus, these are all leaves. They are leaves. You can add to that. Well, we, we stayed up and prayed for Israel all night. 
you know, and uh, we give money to uh, Christian mission work. You can add all this to it. We went to Bible, stu- uh, Bible study every week, or we did the worship thing in the church, and we brought many people to, to, to faith. All these are leaves. I do not know you. Okay? That means Jesus does not have a personal relationship with you. And then he adds, you who practice lawlessness. What does that mean? Because you, although you call yourself a believer, God did not rule your life. You have your own set of laws. Understand? You who practice lawlessness. It's just in society, same thing. We have a government and the government has, uh, has rules and regulations. If somebody wants to do something different, then they, you call them lawless. You're living under a different law. You're your own law. Yes. So Jesus is saying, you who practice lawlessness because I wasn't ruling you. Okay? You, not, I have nothing to do with you. And so, Jesus in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives a couple of examples. Uh, let's look at that quickly. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. You know, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? What does that mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It means when you're broken, when you're crushed, broken in spirit. You know, if, if I were to explain that more clearly, I have to use an example I learned when I was in India. You know, uh, I was in my, my uh, apartment looking down and I can see beggars coming around going to the same house every day. They will go to the same house every day and they wait. And, and the rich man will come out, give some food, and, and, and he'll go away. The next day, same time, he'll come back again. Every day he comes back. Just because he's fat one day doesn't mean he doesn't need food the next day. You know what I mean? He's poor, physically poor. The only thing he has are the shirt, the clothes he's wearing. That's it. But he's a broken man or a broken woman. You know, they come every day to the rich man, waiting for food. And if the man says, go away, I have no food, they will go away. And they will come back again next day. <laughs> they keep coming back. They know that man will meet their needs perpetually. Huh? They have no way they can get out from their situation. They, they rely on that man. That man becomes the tree of life for him. You understand? So, Jesus is saying that you need to be like that, perpetually relying on me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, okay? for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven, relying in God, on God. But most of us are rich. So we say our prayers in the morning, we say our prayers in the evening, and during the day, we do our own battle. God is not there. Or we will do things and say, God bless, bless my thing, you know. And God isn't, God isn't the driver, he's the co-pilot yeah, of your life or my life, you know. You know I, I know when I'm driving, my wife will be co-pilot, pass me the coffee, pass me the tissue, or something like that. Or pass me my paracetamol, I got a headache, you know. That's all she does as a co-pilot. And many times we treat God like that. He's not the driver, he's not the pilot of our lives, he's the co-pilot. Huh? So, why? Because we are rich. 
We are not broken in spirit. I'll come to that okay, later. And the other one I want to bring from the same chapter is verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, <clears throat> it says blessed are the pure in heart. It doesn't say clean. It doesn't say clean. It's a difference. And I'm drinking, I, I believe this is tap water. Is it, Michael, tap water? Okay. Is this pure water or clean water? Clean water. Why? Why is it clean water and not pure water? <laughs> yes. Well, the difference between clean and pure, they're both drinkable. Clean water has, maybe has that fluoride in it or something else, you know? Chlor uh, whatever to kill bacteria. So it's not pure H2O. On the other hand, you can get pure water uh, with no minerals, that's pure, okay? absolutely nothing, H2O. So, someone with a clean conscience, uh, all it means, a clean heart means their sins have been forgiven, but they can still do lawful things, yeah, lawful things, but still have lawful worldly ambitions, maybe after their career and so on. But Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, there's nothing. Pure. They have only one ambition, and that is to serve God, and to know God. And they shall see God. These are the people who shall see God. Okay? Blessed are the pure in heart. Only one ambition, to please God. And in fact, Jesus said that in himself. He said, my food is to do the will of the Father. I, I think in John chapter 4. The disciples brought some food, they eat rabbi, and he says, I, my food is to do the word of the Father. They didn't understand that. And Jesus was teaching his disciples. Yeah? Because his disciples are not just admirers, they were with Jesus. He's teaching them how to be a disciple. So in other words, they will imitate Christ. And that's what we got to do as disciples. The majority of the church members are just admirers. Admirers of Christ. <clears throat> so, and King David also said in the Old Testament, in Psalm 51 verse 10, he says, Create in me a pure heart. Some, some translations have clean. But David was saying, a pure heart. That's the proper translation, pure heart. Now, I started off by saying, you know, uh, Matthew wrote the gospel to the Jews and he mentions about the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. That's always God's desire, even in the Old Testament. God brought the people out of Egypt into the promised land because he wanted to be their king. He didn't want Saul or David to be their king. He wanted to be their king, to rule them. He gave them rules and regulations. But the people didn't want that. They wanted a human to rule over them. They didn't want God. So you can find that in 1 Samuel chapter 8 verses 6 to 8. Yeah. 1 Samuel. Should we have a look, quick look at that? 1 Samuel chapter 8 verses 6 to 8. But the thing, but the thing was 
displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. So God's desire from, from the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, actually the whole Bible is to be our king, our God, our Lord. That's always God's desire. He's a good king. Yeah. And he wanted to rule over his people. But the people wanted a human king. It's the same thing in the New Testament. Same thing, yeah. God, the, you know, God's kingdom starts with individuals in our lives. He wants to rule our lives individually. In the Old Testament, it was different. In the Old Testament, God said, you know, it's not much about heaven in the Old Testament. It's all about earthly things. When he brought the slaves out, uh, you can read that in Deuteronomy 8, he says, if you do this and this and this, follow me and obedience to my laws, I will do this for you. I will send rain. I'll protect you from your enemies. Okay? Your cattle will increase. Your crops will increase. Your children will increase. But if you don't, then they are cursed. Deuteronomy 28. Yeah? He wanted to be their king. But, uh, and God would punish them if they disobeyed, as a king would. In the New Testament, God's kingdom is not based on, on, uh, in Israel, it's all over the world, individuals. Yeah? The difference between the Old Testament and New Testament, God has given us the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, no Holy Spirit. So God doesn't mention, if you, do, if you follow me, you will go to heaven, or I'll take you to heaven when, when you die. He doesn't talk, it's all about earth, earthly blessings, earthly goodness. But in the New Testament, there are no earthly blessings. <laughs> Only trials and tribulation. If you follow Jesus, he said, if you follow me, you will have trials and tribulation. People will hate you because they hate me. But the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament is the Holy Spirit given to every true believer. So the Holy Spirit is, will rule our lives if you submit to God. So God is not a dictator. He's not a tyrant. He allows the freedom, you know, and he and he builds his kingdom from individual with individual, inside out. That's why when you meet a believer, you right away you meet, you have fellowship. Yeah, you may not speak the same language, different culture, but if you meet a true believer, and if you're a true believer, you start relating immediately because we have the same father, we have the same spirit. Yeah. So I want to repeat again. How does God build his kingdom? How does he build the kingdom in our lives? First, he brings us down. Okay. You know, when you build a building or you build anything, what do you do? You dig down first. Yeah? Even if you want to make a garden shed, you make the foundation strong first. Yeah? Then the structure will stand. <laughs> so he brings us down first 
Now, one good example is Job. And Job was a good man. If you read chapter 1, it sounds like almost like he's a modern-day Christian. <laughs> you know, he's worried about children, he's doing sacrifices and so on. Yeah? But God allows Satan to test him. Why? There's one issue with, with, with uh, Job. Religious pride. You won't see that in the beginning, but if you read Job, towards the end, after chapter 30, I think, then, he, he, then Job starts speaking, I did this, I was righteous, I'm going to talk to God. And, and later, when God reveals himself and speaks to Job, and Job says, I am insignificant. I am what? Nothing. You are so great, I'm nothing. Uh, and then Job says one thing, I've heard about you, now only when you hit rock bottom, you will see Jesus. Okay? Now, if you go to, if you go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We'll start with a couple of verses from uh, 17 and 18. Read that first. <clears throat> so, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. Okay, so people heard about Lazarus and how Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. So you go down to verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, look, look at it in context. The Greeks said to the disciples, we want to meet Jesus. We want to see Jesus. So they go to Jesus and say, those people want to see you. And Jesus does not say, yes, bring them here. No, he doesn't say that. He says, and then he gives a, a sermon. <laughs> he says, Unless a wheat of grain falls down and dies, and, and when it dies, it produces much grain. And why is Jesus answering in a complicated way? You know, because all these people are, are only interested in seeing Jesus because he's a miracle maker. Huh? Yeah, they were after miracles. They are admirers. If you, Jesus, what Jesus is saying? If you really want to see me. If you really want to see me, you must die first. Otherwise, you won't know that I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. You will not know that. You need a revelation. If you, if you don't die, you only see me as a good man, a social worker, a miracle worker. And that's what many churches are doing. How does God build his kingdom? 
You are the grain. I'm the grain. One by one, we have to die. We must die. It's like an omelette, isn't it? You take an egg out of your fridge. Whatever you, you know, if you want to make an omelette, you got to break an egg. If you don't break the egg, it's just an egg. And you're still hungry. <laughs> Same thing for us. If Jesus does not break us, Okay? We won't see Jesus. So that's why we go through trials and tribulations in our lives. Okay? There's a reason for it. He loves us. Alright? And He wants to reveal Himself to us. And that's what He did to Job. He had to break Job. Job was a good man. But he had some religious pride. And, and He wanted to make him even better. Now remember, Job did not have the Bible. There were no churches. And all the preachers who came to him were accusing him. But what happened? In the end, when Job understood, he said, and now I can see you. And then God tells Job, and tells the other preachers, bring the sacrifice to him. And he becomes the priest to them. Okay? Because he is reflecting the nature of Christ, the nature of God. The others were just self-righteous, just accusing Job. And God said to those preachers, you are wrong. You are wrong. You don't know Job. So, in the New Testament we have many people like, like Paul, like Peter, you know, they were broken. They were broken. Paul actually says, I'm the worst of all. You know, wretched man that I am. You know, he, he's a broken man. Before that he was a, a self-righteous Pharisee. He wanted to persecute the church. But after he met Jesus, and his eyes were open. You know, when he was riding the horse to Damascus, actually he was blind. When he became blind, then he could see. <laughs> And, 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 and you realize who he really was. I think we need that experience. I need that experience on a daily basis. Now, why? Because, you know, I started off by saying, like, you know, the most, uh, the, the subtle deception is you deceive yourself. You think you're somebody. And as I walk my, live my Christian life, and I realize I'm nobody. You know, why do I get angry with people? Why? Because why do I get angry with my wife, for example? Because I think I'm somebody. You understand? She needs to meet my needs, or laundry, or cooking, or whatever. You know. You know, when people upset me, why does it bother me? Because I think I'm somebody. When you look at Jesus, Jesus didn't defend himself. He could have. He was quiet. He was showing us the way. He is the example. You know, people, I'm sure, you know, and Tom as well, you know, in our line of work, we get lots of bad things told about us. But many times it bothers me. It used to bother me. Why are the people telling lies about me? I need to go and defend myself. But now I have peace. It doesn't matter. Because I, I remember one brother telling me, the lie people tell about you 
is not as bad as the truth God knows about you. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. You can lie as much as you want about me, but the truth is far worse. <laughs> yeah. That is the position I think we need to take. You know, in our life. big deal. You know, most what's more important is what God thinks about me. It doesn't matter what Job's friends thought about Job. It's what matters God thinks about Job. Yeah. So, <clears throat> a legalist, I'm sure you have uh, met some of you, they are always legalists in churches. And they always think they are somebody. They always think they are somebody. And the, you know, uh, Jesus said, um, somebody asked him, what is the greatest command? To love God with all your heart, might, and soul. How can we today in the New Testament love God with all our heart, might, and soul? How? First, we need to empty ourselves. You cannot add when there's something else in this cup. I cannot add you know, coffee to this. I can empty it first. Then I can fill it with coffee. The same thing, if in our hearts we're full of self-love, and we cannot love God with all our heart, might, and soul. We need to empty that first. And that's what, that's what God does. To drain this thing. Bring us to, to the dust. Like Job. My mouth is the dust. Paul fell from his horse to the dust. And God will do that in our lives too. <coughs> and when we are empty, then we can love God. I'll give you another analogy. And with that I'll finish. Um... The Israelites. Israelites were, were slaves in Egypt. And God sends Moses, he brings them out from Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness. In the wilderness they are free. But they were not broken. They were not broken. They were rebellious. Constantly arguing with Moses and God. Yeah. Okay. And until all the people, the first generation, who left Egypt, they died in the wilderness. The second generation went into the promised land. And many times Christians think the promised land is heaven. It's not. I'll explain it. There are two bodies of water the Israelites had to cross. The Red Sea and then the river Jordan. Both times miraculous things happened. The water parted. So, before they can cross the uh, Jordan and go into the Promised Land, they had to be broken. If they had gone straight from Egypt, a couple of weeks later turned up at jo uh, in Israel, they would have been wiped out. <laughs> okay, they would have been wiped out. The giants in the land would have killed them. But God had to break them, break their spirit. Right? Break the, uh, the rebellious flesh, bring it down. And when they, the second generation, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, the second generation, you know, they didn't have any experience of, or knowledge of Egypt. They are a new creation in the wilderness. Now, they are ready to cross Jordan and go into the land and start fighting the giants and taking over the land. 
The same thing happens to us. We are in the world, Egypt is the world, and we are slaves to Satan. Through Jesus, he brings us out of the world. But still, the flesh is weak, uh, sorry, strong. The flesh is strong. And sometimes Christians will wonder, seven years, ten years, forty years, fifty years, some even longer, in the wilderness, because the flesh is strong, until they have an experience. Rock bottom. They are broken. Then they know. Now we can cross the next river, next body of water that goes into the promised land. Now they have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their life to fight the giants, fight your hunger problem, uh, hunger, sorry, anger problem, <laughs> your lust, huh? your jealousy, yeah. your bitterness. And many Christians are just stuck between the two bodies of water. They are free, but the flesh is strong. <coughs> Understand? When God breaks you, then you have God empowers you. When you are broken, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, most Christians are just looking for the gifts of the Spirit. They are not looking for the fruit of the Spirit. That's what they should focus. Fruit of the Spirit. Do I have fruit in my life? Or am I just producing leaves? God wants to produce fruit in your life. That's the meaning of walking in the Spirit. You understand? That's the meaning. Then you can conquer the giants because it's not you. It's Christ in you working in your life because you've surrendered your life. Yeah? That's what Galatians is talking about. 5, chapter 5, verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All this can only happen when the Spirit takes control of your life. Huh? Resurrection life. Some people are... They are, they are you know, they repent, they go into the wilderness, but they don't have the resurrection life. They don't produce fruit. Full of bitterness. Full of bitterness. Cannot forgive someone. And then they, and then in the churches, they play politics. I'm sick and tired of it. We were talking about that last night. Sick and tired of all this politics in church. Who do they think they are? We are nobody. <laughs> If it wasn't for the grace of God, we are nothing. Huh? But it takes time to come to this realization. And we need to be broken. God wants to break us. And then He wants to build us up again. So we reflect His glory. You know, we reflect the life of Christ. You know, the grace of, uh, of Christ in our lives. And people see. Then you can say, follow me. As I follow Christ. Because my life is not a mess. Okay? I told you, seven targets live in the strength of God. Does it make sense? No. So, where are we? We should be at least in the wilderness. We shouldn't be in Egypt if you are here. Maybe you are just visiting. And if you are not have the gospel, then we invite you to come into the wilderness, but at a you know, more journey. <laughs> that depends on how long you want to wander in the wilderness. Forty years, seven years, two years, one year, sooner the better. Get into the promised land. 
Now you take over. You know, start fighting the giants in your life. You conquer one by one with the power of God. You know, in Japan, maybe you have a saying, they're saying, they say, Gambate! Like with, with the hand, like, Gambate! You know, so when, when, when a child goes to school, the parents say, Gambate! It means, do your best! Yeah. Many Christians, that's all they're doing. I'll do my best! Then when they go to the front door, they fall flat in their face. <laughs> because they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. They come home defeated, and they say, I'll do best, better tomorrow. Again, they do, in their own strength. You can grit your teeth. You will never succeed. If you don't die, to suffer. Okay, I think I'll stop here.